This episode is brought to you by the Podcast Services Division at Life's Tough Media. Having your own podcast allows you to creatively reach all types of audiences, from clients to prospects, to your most loyal membership base. And by utilizing studio affiliates located around the world, coupled with quality remote recording capabilities, Life's Tough Media makes having a corporate podcast easier than ever before. Contact us for a no-obligation consultation at info at lifestuff.com or visit lifestuff.com to learn more. Welcome to Life's Tough. You can be tougher. I'm Dustin Plantelt, your host. This is a show about life and purpose. It's about the stories we all share. Yet some of us, our stories are the basis for a movie or even a blockbuster miniseries. Our guest today is Sean Callagy. Sean is an entrepreneur, a national speaker, one of America's top trial attorneys, and founder of Unblinded Mastery. Let's welcome him on today. Sean, welcome to the show. Dustin, thanks so much for having me here today. Um, and I would say I'm a big fan, but what I actually say is I'm inspired by and learn from your work, all that you've overcome and what you've created in the world. And it's an honor and privilege to be here. Well, I, I appreciate those kind words. You have been someone that I have also been following. And I got to tell you, Sean, you have a story and it is one that is the basis, as we, we say on the show, it's the basis for a blockbuster miniseries. I mean, <laughs> how did you go from an attorney to a motivator, but how did you go through a journey in life where being legally blind, how did you succeed? Because I will tell you that most would not have succeeded in the sense, in the way that you have, that you didn't allow it to defeat you. You used it as your fuel. So tell us your story. Yeah. Well, thank you. So, um, I believe wholeheartedly that we model that which is around us. So at some level, uh, I was blessed and privileged to grow up in an environment while it didn't have money. It was rich in love. It was rich in values. It was rich in mentorship. I had grandparents, aunts, um, athletic coaches in high school that were extraordinary. My high school football coach uh, and baseball coach was actually called a mentor uh, after his passing by two-time Super Bowl winning coach Bill Parcells. So a mentor of Bill Parcells happened to be my high school coach. So when you grow up in an environment like that, um, it's, it's challenging not to succeed, if you will. Uh, but many, many mistakes along the way, because I think human beings thus then delete, dilute, and distort extraordinary amounts of what's right in front of us. Uh, ergo, we don't see, we don't see, which is what we share, but I'm blinded. But I grew up as an athlete. I hope to play professionally. Um, captain of my Columbia University, University baseball team. Uh, at four years, started Division One. told I was getting drafted, and I had retinitis pigmentosa, a hereditary degenerative eye disease. So I am blind. And at, during college, it just began to affect me in the slightest of ways and crushed my heart, uh, didn't get drafted to play professionally, didn't know what to do with my life. I was a Columbia graduate, and I hadn't prepared for any job other than playing professional baseball. So I started applying some places. Uh, that's a very interesting story for a different day and ended up working in New York City for a year, trying to figure out my life. And I decided to go to law school. I went to law school, not because I wanted to be an attorney, not because I was passionate about it, 
but because I knew I was going blind and I wanted to be able to earn a living. And I thought attorneys make some money. I had no money in my background. Neither of my parents went to college and I graduated from law school thinking that was a ticket to earning income in your life. And I realized nothing could be further from the, uh, the truth. And that was the beginning of the journey. Now, you know, they say in life that success leaves clues. So it sounds like we're, we're most fallen to the, I call it the volunteer victim mentality that you looked around you and said, there's success all around me that I can learn from these people in my life. I can take where most people, you know, they, they think that success is, is money, that success comes in different fashions. Does it not? Yeah, it, absolutely. My grandparents were some of the most successful human beings I've ever seen in my life. And they never made more than $25,000 in a year, um, but they were rich in leadership. They were rich in love. They were rich in gravitational pull. And when I came out of uh, law school thinking I won the game of law school, because everywhere I went, I said, who's succeeding and do what they do? From high school athletics to college athletics to law school, I won. I thought I won the game of law school. I learned how to study for law school, prepare, got what I thought was my dream job. But when I got there, I found out by three months that most people weren't very happy. And in fact, and this is you know, a lesser proud moment in my life, but not horrible, that my office turned into the complaint session every day. Uh, brand new attorneys there, third year attorneys, fifth year attorneys, eighth year attorneys, about eight to 10 of us had a beautiful mastermind complaining about everything that was going on in the firm and all the things we would do differently and how horrible it was while we did absolutely nothing to change it but complain. And I woke up one day and said, I don't wanna live like this. And there were two people out of the 120 plus attorneys that with the firm that seemed free, happy, empowered, and in leadership. I'm like, why did those dudes seem happy and nobody else is? And I was told, well, oh yeah, those guys, they're the people that generate and develop business. I'm like, I don't understand. What does developing and generating business have to do with anything? I, I, I really don't understand. They laughed at me. They actually laughed. Like, you don't get how all this works. I'm like, I don't. I thought you do a great job as a lawyer and you're successful. They're like, dude, the laws of business. The people that generate the business have everybody else work for them. And that day changed my life. So you got to now learn from others that have gone through it, done it and done it right. Then you took it to the next level. How did that begin? Because most people that, you know, they'll have the idea, aha, got an idea, but they don't know how to execute it, Sean. They don't know how to get it out of their head because they'll, they'll play the card of, well, I don't know how, but you seem to figure out a way how. And I imagine you didn't get to rely on Google to teach you how to do it. So how did you figure this out? Yeah. So it's 1997. And I had the blessing and privilege of my chiropractor saying, you know what? Read this book by this guy, Tony Robbins. I had no idea who he was. Awaken the Giant Within. And it, it was life altering because what it taught me is one, I can control my fear in a rejection of people. Like I understood controlling my fear in athletics. I didn't understand controlling the rejection of people. And second, he said, go learn and model from other people. I'm like, modeling? That's what I've been doing my whole life. I didn't have a label for it. I've been doing that, that modeling thing. So I got an advertisement from Tony for this guy, Jay Abraham. And I bought this $500 book. My friends made fun of me. They laughed at me for spending $500 on one leather-bound book. And that book taught me about the exponentiality of marketing, of relationship creation, of value exchange. And I, I was like, this is the pathway to my entire future. So for three months, I struggled. I quit my job, by the way, at the major law firm. They literally offered to get me psychological counseling. This isn't hyperbolic. This isn't like creating revisionist history. They actually offered me counseling. It's like, nobody leaves here. Are you kidding? Like you're the number one draft pick. 
We're one of the top three firms in New Jersey. You turn down the other two to come here. What are you talking about? I said, no, no, there's like nothing here for me. I don't, nothing here for me. I'm not learning. I'm not growing. It's not here. Six months out of law school. And I decided to start my own law firm. My credit card, $100,000 in debt. And I just started doing what Jay Abraham was teaching me, what I was learning from Tony Robbins. And then I bought a book for $1, $1 in a garage sale. Tony Robbins said, learn. I was learning like crazy. And that book was called How to Make a Fortune from Public Speaking by Robert Anthony. And I'm like, I get it. The way that you become preeminent that Jay Abraham talks about, the way you create these strategic alliance partnerships is you publicly speak. And there's a lot of different varieties of what that could look like. I said, so I, in running my networking group, I don't want to ever network again. I don't want to randomly network. I don't, it's mathematically ridiculous. What I want to do is intentionally find out where my ideal client avatars exist. I'm going to go add value to those ecosystems, become preeminent in them and generate clients. I did it within three months, one ecosystem, the Northern New Jersey Chiropractic Society. I delivered a talk called how to make a fortune. I'm sorry. You're at, you're at war and you don't even know it with the insurance companies. I started generating clients and I went from $100,000 in debt to a 40-person law firm in two years, paid off all, all my debt and bought a primary home and a beach house. That was my dream beach house. And that's a true story, all real numbers, all real stuff. I didn't pay cash for the beach house. I still have it today, 23 years later. And it was mind-blowing to me as I sat there selling my first law firm for multiple seven figures in 2003, that everybody in the world does not learn how to do this. I went to law school in Columbia, Ivy League undergrad. I'm like, why didn't they teach me or anybody these things? It's outrageous. You know, it sounds like though, but you held you accountable and you found time. You know, years ago, a family member, when I was complaining about not having enough time, uh, he's a cardiologist and he said, thus, I've never run out of a minute if I want to do the things I really want to do, that you always will find a minute to do those things you want to do. And yet you kept finding the minutes. So talk about prioritizing your life. Yeah. So um, for some of us, we're familiar with the story of the ant and the grasshopper. And the grasshopper is the one making fun of the ants as they're working their way through the summer and the fall, not enjoying themselves, putting things away, preparing for the different season. And the grasshopper is like doing nothing. And then winter comes and the ants are inside having a party, totally relaxed and peaceful. And the grasshopper is starving, dying outside in the cold. So I realized, and I had the benefit of going blind. I realized I had that clock and I was in a race against time to gain financial freedom and or to put myself in a position where it didn't matter if I didn't have sight. So I had this vision of all of that. So I do look at that as an immense blessing. I actually look at my blindness as an advantage because it created that lever for me. And all I did was ask myself the question continuously, how can I get through building this structure so I become a business owner, not operator as fast as possible? And I realized that that structure, and, and I mean, to answer your question very directly, I realized that there was, I, I linked massive pain, massive pain to not creating acceleration, to not being in the space of freedom in my life. And I realized all the things I was doing were necessary pieces and parts of the puzzle to get to that freedom. And every day I woke up saying like, am I there yet? Am I there yet? Am I there yet? And I prioritized my calendaring in creating speaking opportunities in creating strategic, what some would call strategic alliance partnerships. I talk about ecosystem merging. So scheduling ecosystem mergers, but I also scheduled sales meetings and sales. I think a lot of times, Dustin, 
we we could become single focused, particularly, you know, Alistair Armstrong would say as men, we could become very single focused. So I made sure within my single focus that I was still prioritizing the different distinctions. Creating strategic alliances don't produce money. Like they feel good. It's like, wow, I'm, I'm on Dustin's podcast. This is amazing. I'm very grateful for being here. But this is just a portion of what we have to do to create what we want to create. And so if we don't have our sales meetings and we don't have our sales and we're not tracking revenues, we got a big problem. And then sometimes people hit a vein of immense revenue and they're like, wow, this is fantastic. And they stop that front end component of maintaining their ecosystem merger relationships, maintaining those speaking engagements. So to me, those pillars, I, I, I've created pillars that at all times are being measured and monitored. And now I, I have teammates that do that. But in the beginning, 20 years ago, I was measuring everything every day every single day to start my day. In the same way as an athlete, I would have measured my running, my lifting, et cetera. I measure those pillars. And when you do, it actually becomes quite easy. But linking massive pain to not doing it, massive pleasure to doing it was the beginning of the journey. So, but then what drives you? I mean, okay, so you sold a company, you did really well. You made, and I would probably say, life-changing money to the point where I mean, you could go to some place around the world and hang out and do what you want but you didn't want your journey to end there. So what fuels you? What, what drives you? And ultimately, what does Sean want? You know, I've interviewed billionaires and I love asking them this question as well, that, all right, you made the billion. Now what happens next? Yeah. Thank you, brother. Um, very simple. First go around, when I went to that first Tony seminar years ago, uh, I loved his language of being an example of possibility. So my why in 1998, 99, 2000, 2001 was being an example of possibility to my children and to other people. That was round one. Um, I, I currently own a 125 person law firm. I'm a business owner, not operator. And what drives me in this regard now, right? And in the unblinded movement is I do believe in God. And this is not, you can call it the universe. You can call it a blade of grass, call it whatever you want. Um, call it, you know, nothingness, oneness. I believe in a higher power. And I believe someday I'm going to meet that higher power and I'm going to be accountable and that I was given talents and I want to have a good answer. And I want my answer to be that I took my talents and I multiplied them and I caused great impact, as great an impact as I possibly could. And the same way I love playing baseball, love playing football, love wrestling, same way I love scuba diving, skiing and surfing. I love creating impact and I love expanding the talent and gifts that I was given. I love growth. I love challenge. So what I'm standing for is that when it's all done, and if that's tomorrow, or if that's in 50 years or 100 years, I want to have a very good answer for what I did with my talents. And that's what I wake up to every single day. And I work 16 hours a day right now. I'm not suggesting it. You know, We're building this unblinded ecosystem and platform. And it's an intense amount of work. And I think eh, probably twice a day, why am I doing this? Why am I working 16 hours a day? I didn't work five hours a week for seven years. Why am I doing this? And the answer is because I have a powerful why that I'm very present to and clear on. And when those thoughts come in and I don't want to follow through and I want to do the things, I'm very present to that why. You know, so it sounds like that you are living your life like you're running out of time, not to put something off, not to sit and wait for it to happen, but to go create the opportunity. So Sean, why is it right now that around the world, people are afraid to make changes? They're they're afraid to step out. They'll complain. I mean, I have a friend of mine uh, recently that was complaining to me that he wasn't getting the advancement in his job. He wasn't getting that managerial role. And I said, 
okay, leave, go someplace else or go start your own company. And it's like, well, so why is that the, the old, like, we, we want to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die, that we don't want to do what it takes to get ahead. So talk about that. Yeah, Dustin, all my heart. Um, and I love your work. You're a brilliant man. And I, like that is present for me. Like very present is the depth of your thinking, the dynamic diversity of people you communicate with. So, and I know you know this, people fear two things. They fear failure and they fear rejection. I believe you could boil, Einstein says, make everything as simple as possible, but not simpler. I think that's exactly what I just said. Fear of rejection, fear of failure. Every single thing boils down to that. And that's the only thing that stops action. If somebody knew that there was a cure for cancer in the driveway and cancer mattered to them, they're going to run out in their driveway. If they knew there's a cure for cancer, they'd fly halfway around the world to get it and do whatever it took. What people fear on the failure side is primarily that I'm going to invest the resources I have, money, time, energy. I'm going to invest those things, not get the result. And our primal brain that's designed to protect us lies to us and tells us we're going to die. You're going to die if you waste money, time, or energy. Think I'm lying? Think of what people will do to fight for their wallet. They lose their wallet. How crazy they'll go. If they create a document online and spend 30 minutes doing it, how nuts they'll go to not recreate it and spend hours instead of simply recreating it, that's fear of failure. On the flip side, in our primal brains lying to us and producing all kinds of chemicals that make us completely crazy. Fear of rejection, the other side, is getting kicked out of the tribe also equals death in our primal brain, right? Back in the day, we're picking berries, we're hunting animals, and we need each other to survive. So fear of rejection, fear of failure are primally wired. And what even most logically minded people, because I don't believe anybody is actually making decisions logically. And I, I know I, I could prove that in a minute and a half. I don't think anybody makes any decisions logically. We make them emotionally and justify them logically, everything. Even the people who would say, I'm an engineer and I'm completely you know, motivated by logic. We're not present to, I believe, Dustin, we're not present to our fear of rejection, fear of failure. So we think those emotional flares that are distorting truth, distortion of truth, are actually creating truth. And we end up in these horrible circles that we call stress, that we call indecision but it's actually just the distortion of objective reality. And you're completely right. Everyone lives in this. And I've worked hard and I'm imperfect at it. I'm perfectly imperfect, but it'll look hard to become present to it and work my way through it because it never leaves us. The more we elevate and things we're creating in the world, it's still present. And I can tell you five ways it's present in my life right this very minute that I'm like, wait a minute, nervous system's lying, nervous system's lying, nervous system's lying become present to it. And that's what I try to support people. It's one of the areas that I work to support people. So those are my thoughts. That's an incredible message. You know, you and I have both, we have spoken to and interviewed some of the, the greatest minds, influencers in the world. You know, one of my takeaways has been that we don't connect with people on strengths. We connect with people on weaknesses. What have they taught you? What has been your takeaway from all of this, Sean, of everything you've done? What have you learned? I've learned there's a formula and whether we are present to it or not, there is math. And I believe in heart and math. I believe heart energy is like what creates galvanizes, but I believe math is what contains and builds. Like the inspiration to build a skyscraper is different than the math and containers to actualize the growth, but we need both. 
And I, I believe there's a formula that controls our money, our time and leverage, and our magic, and that most people spend their entire life searching for the meaning of life. They're searching for secrets that are really, truly there, and they wander from a space of dabbling to dabbling to dabbling to dabbling. So for me, it's realized that three things are controlling everything. It's how we influence and control ourselves. I call it self-mastery to get ourselves to act. How do we get ourselves to act? That's self-mastery, period. The second piece is how do we go from hello to yes with other human beings? That's influence mastery. And the third component is process mastery, which is the modeling and mapping of what to do with ourself and influence mastery. And that is simply based upon doing that which others have done. And if you're not getting the results that others have gotten, it's because you're not effectively modeling and or because your influence mastery is suboptimal and you're not going from hello to yes, which is infinitely achievable because none of us learn about the superpower of influence anywhere in our lives. Process mastery, influence mastery, self-mastery. That is what I am anchored on as truth in the world that controls our money, our time, our magic. So we say on the show that life's tough. You can be tougher. Who's the toughest person you've ever known? Siri Lindley. Um, Siri Lindley. And Siri is a dear friend. And I heard her speak three and a half years ago. And I thought she was the most inspirational speaker I'd ever heard in my life. World champion triathlete who didn't know how to swim when she was 23 years old. And did everything right. Everything right in modeling, she thought. And she was the odds-on favorite to win the Olympic trials, to make the Olympic team, and didn't even place first, second, or third. She was washing and weighing her food, going through the most insane rituals. She recreated herself, got a new coach, did the most ridiculous and impossible things I've ever heard of in my life, even crazier than the things I've heard David Goggins do. And then Siri not only became world champion, you know, uh, international motivational speaker, and then she contracted cancer. Uh, a little over a year and a half ago, was given a less than 5% chance to live, already being the most inspirational human I've ever met personally and ever known, and beat cancer against all odds. And and she just got a bill signed into law yesterday to end horse slaughter. I had the privilege of having her on the show. I was at an event at her place a couple of weeks ago in Colorado with uh, Melissa Etheridge, um, and she stands for banning horse slaughter and saving horses in the world. Siri is the most heart-centered, straight-up gangster warrior. And that's, I'd say, Dustin, final, final on that, is so many times the strongest, most powerful people we ever encounter appear to be the softest, kindest, nicest people. And you can be both, and she is. Life's tough. Sean is tougher. Thanks again, Sean, for sharing your story on the Life's Tough podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Sean, for sharing such a powerful story. And to the audience out there, what was your takeaway? I read a quote that goes like this. The more you've struggled, the more inspiring your story will be when you come out on the other side. Do not give up. Today's struggles brings tomorrow's wisdom. And never forget, what you've gone through and what you will go through will help others on their journey when you come through it stronger. Life's tough. You can be tougher. See you next time, everyone.